Welcome to First Do No Harm with Massachusetts Citizens for Life board member and physician, Dr. Mark Rollo. This broadcast will focus on medical ethics from a Catholic perspective and address abortion, physician-assisted suicide, contraception, natural family planning, IVF, healthcare proxy, and other topics. Please be advised that this show may not be appropriate for children under 13. Hello and welcome back to First Do No Harm, a show about medical ethics from a Catholic perspective. I'm Dr. Mark Rollo. Last time, Dr. Joseph Zalat, ethicist at the National Catholic Bioethics Center, discussed step one of the absurd gender-affirming care model where the clinician essentially agrees with the patient's delusion that he or she is the wrong sex. Any attempt to get to the bottom of this delusion, that he or she is the wrong sex, is actually illegal in more than 20 states, including Massachusetts. As we discussed last time, this fact demonstrates the validity of the statement that the more absurd the belief, the more the coercive power of the state is needed. Today, in part three of my interview with Dr. Joseph Zalat, we will discuss steps two, three, and four of the ludicrous gender-affirming care model of treating gender dysphoria, which are as preposterous as they are abusive. Dr. Zalat will also explain how the church's vision of sexuality is the only rational and workable vision to produce human flourishing. Before we continue, let us pray. For as stated by the U.S. Catholic bishops, only with prayer. Prayer that storms the heavens for justice and mercy. Prayer that cleanses our hearts and souls. Will the culture of death that surrounds us today be replaced with a culture of life? Almost 3,000 years ago, the prophet Isaiah said this, as it is written in chapter 5, verses 20 and 21. Woe to those who call what is bad good, and what is good bad, who substitute darkness for light, and light for darkness, who substitute bitter for sweet, and sweet for bitter. Woe to those who think themselves wise and believe themselves enlightened. O God, make us humble. Help us to see that it is you who are light, you who are sweet, you who are good. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. In part one of my conversation with Dr. Zalat, he made reference to Dr. Paul McHugh, former psychiatrist and chief at Johns Hopkins Hospital, who in 1979 shut down the gender identity clinic at Johns Hopkins, saying that sex change surgery did not help people. In 2014, he authored an essay entitled Transgender surgery isn't the solution, which was published in Courage, 
International, and later reprinted in the Wall Street Journal. Here are some excerpts from that piece. The transgendered suffer a disorder of assumption, like those and other disorders familiar to psychiatrists. With the transgendered, the disordered assumption is that the individual differs from what seems given in nature, namely one's maleness or femaleness. Other kinds of disordered assumptions are held by those who suffer from anorexia nervosa and bulimia, where the assumption that departs from physical reality is the belief by the dangerously thin that they are overweight. With body dysmorphic disorder, an often socially crippling condition, the individual is consumed by the assumption, I'm ugly. These disorders occur in subjects who come to believe that some of their psychosocial conflicts or problems will be resolved if they can change the way they appear to others. Such ideas work like ruling passions in their subjects' minds and tend to be accompanied by a solipsistic argument. Yes, solipsistic. I had to look it up myself. It is the theory that only the self exists or can be proved to exist. This Descartes dualism is just the latest form of an ideology which the Catholic Church has convincingly refuted for centuries. Now back to Dr. Paul McHugh. For the transgender, this argument holds that one's feeling of gender is a conscious, subjective sense that being in one's mind cannot be questioned by others. The individual often seeks not just society's tolerance of this personal truth, but affirmation of it. Here rests the support for transgender equality. The demands for government payment for medical and surgical treatments and for access to all sex-based public roles and privileges. With this argument, advocates for the transgendered have persuaded several states, including California, New Jersey, and Massachusetts, to pass laws barring psychiatrists, even with parental permission, from striving to restore natural gender feelings to a transgender minor. That government can intrude into parents' rights to seek help in guiding their children indicates how powerful these advocates have become. How to respond? Psychiatrists obviously must challenge the solipsistic concept that what is in the mind cannot be questioned. Disorders of consciousness, after all, represent psychiatry's domain. Declaring them off-limits would eliminate the field. When children who reported transgender feelings were tracked without medical or surgical treatment at both Vanderbilt University and London's Portman Clinic, 70 to 80 percent of them spontaneously lost those feelings. Continues Dr. McHugh, we at Johns Hopkins University, which in the 1960s was the first American medical center to venture into sex reassignment surgery, launched a study in the 1970s comparing the outcomes of transgendered people who had the surgery with the outcomes of those who did not. Most of the surgically treated patients 
describe themselves as satisfied by the results, but their subsequent psychosocial adjustments were no better than those who did not have surgery. And so, at Hopkins, we stopped doing sex reassignment surgery. Since producing a satisfied but still troubled patient seemed an inadequate reason for surgically amputating normal organs. It now appears that our long-ago decision was a wise one. In 2011, at the Karolinska Institute in Sweden, produced the most illuminating results yet regarding the transgendered, evidence that should give advocates pause. The long-term study, up to 30 years, followed 324 people who had sex reassignment surgery. The study revealed that, beginning about 10 years after having surgery, the transgendered began to experience increasing mental difficulties. Most shockingly, their suicide mortality rose almost 20-fold above the comparable non-transgender population. The high suicide rate certainly challenges the surgery prescription. People who undergo sex reassignment surgery do not change from men to women, or vice versa. Rather, they become feminized men or masculinized women. Claiming that this is a civil rights matter and encouraging surgical intervention is in reality to collaborate with and promote a mental disorder. And now here is part three of my recent conversation with Dr. Joseph Zalat of the National Catholic Bioethics Center. We pick up the interview where Dr. Zalat is discussing the sophistry of the gender-affirming care model. And so once you've, uh, once you've agreed with the uh, person's uh, essentially a delusion... Uh, it, <laughs> it's not essentially a delusion. I mean, it, and, and, and we're, I'm using hard, and we're using hard terminology here. But again, this this is we're not trying to you know to make fun of or belittle people who experience. But but we're talking about those who are supposedly caring for them. They're they are collaborating. They're participating in a delusion. Exactly. Well, you know, it, it, when when I was uh, reading through this, it reminded me of something I was involved with as a psychiatric social worker at Northampton State Hospital. Oh, yes. Before they closed it. Before they closed it up on Route 66. Yeah. Yeah, and oh, yeah. um they were, you know, very seriously disturbed uh, people there, many uh, schizophrenics. And as I was reading about schizophrenia and how to treat it, I mean, the first thing they said is never agree with a person's delusion, you know. There's a, there's a, or never go along with it. Like there was this story about a person believing a schizophrenic patient believing he was dead, and um, he said, "Well, you're not dead. You're sitting right across the table from me. You're talking to me." He said, "No, no, I'm I'm actually dead." And so, <laughs> so he said, "Well, let me ask you this: Do dead men bleed? And he said, well, well, I guess, um, no, I guess dead men can't bleed. So he says, can I just go ahead and stick you with this pin? So he stuck the pin in him and he started to bleed. 
And he said, well, I guess dead men do bleed. So, so you never uh, get into, um, you never try to influence a person's delusion or, or kind of allow them to um, agree with the delusion. I, w- I would add on to that and, and um, people who are suffering from anorexia. Let's, you know, I was, I was going to wait to do this later, but we can start doing it right now. Mm-hmm. Um, let's say we treated someone with anorexia the way that we, tra- we treat someone uh, with gender identity disorder. Well, so, and, and I'm thinking of, I, I can remember a patient when I was uh, working for our hospital system. We had a patient come in. She was a female, she was probably 30-ish years old, weighed 80 pounds. Um, I mean, you could see her bones. She believed, she had the perception that she was fat. Well, affirming psychotherapy. You're fat. Yeah, right. I mean, that, that's what you do. You know, so, so if we apply the same standard that we, you know, that we have or that's been put together for the so-called gender-affirming model and apply that to any other mental health condition like, well, as you said, like schizophrenia or um, anorexia, well, what do we have to do? We have to affirm, we have to affirm, yeah, you're dead, or B, affirm that the anorexic who weighs 80 pounds, yeah, you're fat. Mm-hmm. Which makes no sense no. whatsoever. So after we do this uh, thing that makes no sense and uh, agreeing <laughs> with them, then the we next... We do more things that then, make no sense. Then, right. The, what's the next step in this, uh, in this whole process? Well, the next step in this whole process for children, right? Obviously, this is not going to be for adults, but right. for children are what we, called, uh, are what we call excuse me, puberty-blocking hormones. Mm-hmm. And these hormones are exactly that. They block puberty. So for a prepubescent child who uh, believes that he or she is the wrong sex, they are given these um, puberty-blocking hormones to, you know, to quote-unquote give them more time to understand who they are mm-hmm. and, you know, and, and, and whatnot else. So puberty is stopped. We're going to stop puberty in you so you don't develop into a, you know, a mature, a sexually mature male or female, you know, whatever, whatever that may be. Now, you know, with affirming psychotherapy, there are <laughs> a lot of concerns with puberty-blocking hormones. First mm-hmm. of all, puberty is not a disease, right? It's, it's a, you know, when one goes through puberty, that's healthy, right? There's, there's, th- these hormones are not preventing any disease, any pathology or anything else. The only thing they're doing is preventing a natural, preventing natural development. That's it. Yeah. That's what's going on. So in addition to that, again, as we said, there's no high-quality studies that demonstrate any benefit to uh, affirming psychotherapy. Same thing with puberty-blocking hormones. There's no evidence to demonstrate that these hormones are an effective treatment for whether gender dysphoria or gender identity disorder. And in fact, the studies are demonstrating that there could be some very serious long-term side effects, and, and not the least of which is sterility. You give these, give these children, prepubescent children, puberty blockers, mm-hmm. you're affecting their bodies yeah. for the rest of their life. Yeah. You know, and, and people will say, well, they're fully reversible. Uh, there's no evidence for that either. Mm-hmm. So you're, you know, lots of uh, health risks involved with this. And, and, last, and we could go, I mean, we could go on this all day, but right. um, there's questions of informed consent. You know, can a minor, particularly a prepubescent minor, understand the ramifications of a decision that's going to affect them quite literally for the rest of their life? And the answer is they can't, right? Legally, they can't. And, you know, we know developmentally in their minds, they, they don't have the ability to, I mean, I remember myself, my goodness, when, when was I able to actually make <laughs> decisions? I was yeah. probably in my 30s. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. But, um, and we're allowing 
we're allowing children, prepubescent children, to make these types of decisions. It's, yeah. it's absolutely scandalous. And it is, and it's child abuse. Yeah, and the, and the, and the schools are keeping it from the uh, parents exactly. in some cases. Yeah. Oh, a lot of cases. Yeah. Yep. The schools have policies that if a child says, you know, if they confide in a, a teacher or a guidance counselor or something that they're the quote-unquote wrong sex, they have policies in place to keep this from parents. Yeah, it's absolutely. just yeah. unbelievable. Just yeah. incredible. I remember somebody telling me that, uh, you know, it gave an example of uh, this child who would, they wanted to have go through... Um, uh, sex change, hormone blocking drugs and uh, puberty blocking drugs and so forth. They said, well, with the parent who um, picks her up from school, they have a they have a fish on the back of the car, and therefore we we know because the fish yep. Yep. is a symbol of Christianity that they must be kind of radical and we shouldn't tell them about it. Yep. So. Yep. It's happening. The good thing is, again, people are starting to wake up. I think the the election down in uh, Virginia a couple months ago. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. it's good. There's also another shameless plug. We do a, a biweekly bioethics public policy report where we put out information about what's going on, you know, in the world of bioethics. And um, so that again, that comes out every two weeks. And a couple of weeks ago, um, we had in there a story of some parents in Wisconsin, just outside of Milwaukee, I believe, mm-hmm. who are actually suing the school. So, mm. And I don't know if that's the first time, but it's going to be one of the first times. Parents are actually holding, they're suing the school district for withhold, for knowingly withholding um, this information from them about their child. Yeah, well, good for them. So let's, uh, let's kind of uh, get back to some sanity. <laughs> Or insanity. <laughs> well, tell us how the sane, you know, the Catholic Church doesn't uh, change its teaching uh, from generation to generation. It's it's always the same. You know, different issues arise, and they use the same principles. So uh, talk a little bit about how the uh, Church or Catholic anthropology uh, looks at this whole issue. Mark, did you want to talk about the cross-sex hormones and the surgical procedure oh yes i guess we skipped skip right over there yeah, go ahead yeah. go ahead who's, who's hosting yeah we're having for- having too i'm getting distracted by our conversation <laughs> <laughs> we're just getting into the good stuff i mean you're, you're blinded by you know the old manfred man song blinded by the light we're blinded by the insanity going on here but yeah but, um, well please but, but finish just, finish the story <laughs> <laughs> well just the, the and uh, then you can the, talk about sanity yeah, yeah, maybe, maybe, well, yeah, then when we get to the church's teaching, hopefully we'll... Right, 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 right. Yeah, there we go, that's what it, that's, yeah, that. But, you know, so we're talking about the, the quote-unquote affirmative model of care. So we talked about uh, affirming psychotherapy, and we talked about puberty-blocking drugs. The third of the fourth step, four steps, I should say, is cross-sex hormones. Yes. Mm-hmm. And again, it's pretty self-explanatory. Uh, and this is children, this is adults, whatever the case may be. So, Mark, if you, are, you know, you come to me and you say, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a woman, I want to quote-unquote transition to a woman, what we're going to do is we're going to give you large doses of uh, what we call cross-sex hormones. Essentially, if you're a man, we're going to give you estrogen, mm-hmm. synthetic estrogen. Mm-hmm. And if you're a female, we're going to give you um, probably synthetic testosterone. And the purpose of that is to get your body to begin to appear as the opposite sex, all right? Again, all sorts of problems with it that we could, I mean, again, we could spend hours on it. You know, first, you know, the first thing is that you, you can't uh, reassign your sex. You can't change your sex. The, the hormones, they, they, they may make some appearance changes in your body, but none of the chromosomes, right. none, yep. none, nothing changes. Mm. Um, 
at all. You, so you can't do it. Health risks, again, many, many health risks uh, involved with these cross-sex hormones, including uh, cardiovascular disease, sure. yeah. uh, diabetes, um, hypertension, um, and, and studies indicate that higher risks of heart attacks, stroke, yeah, absolutely. Um, thrombosis, thromb- uh, you know, blood clots, and mm-hmm. everything else. And something that, to keep in mind is that when someone goes through quote-unquote transitioning, they are on these cross-sex hormones for the rest of their life. A lot of people don't realize that. They think, oh, okay, you, you, know, you do have some sort of surgical procedure, blah, 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 which we'll get to, and you know, then you're good to go. No. Yeah, because right? you're, you're taking these high doses of hormones for the rest of your life. And the long-term, and studies are beginning to show that the, the, the real effects, they take a while to really, really kick in, particularly like 10 years out. Um, and from what I understand, the outcomes are not yeah. good. Well, I know just in treating um, men who have, uh, who have uh, low libido and they happen to have low testosterone, and uh, so they have a legitimate, pro- a legitimate problem, you treat them with testosterone appropriately, you have to be very careful. You get a, yep. you know, their, their lipids and uh, just to name one thing, your cholesterol and uh, parameters get way out of whack, which increases your risk for a heart attack and hypertension. So, and you're talking about using it in an appropriate setting <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and using it in a inappropriate setting for the rest of their lives is, is just, it's just really crazy, but maybe not as crazy as the, the next step. Well, I don't know if it, if it can get any more crazy, but so the last step in the process is uh, what's called "quote unquote" sex reassignment surgery. Mm-hmm. Or actually, that's actually not even a correct term anymore. That's not the politically correct term. The politically correct term today is gender affirming surgery. It's sex change operations. Yeah, essentially, that, that's what we're talking about. So this final process is is you do surgical procedures. Um, and it, it could be various things. It doesn't. It, it's you know certainly um, someone could go the route of uh, genitalia. Mm-hmm. Right? So we're going to you know change your genitalia, but it's also other things. I mean breasts, Adam's apple, you know other parts of the body uh, as well too. And Mark, I I, I I would actually encourage your listeners. And this is going to sound weird, but I would actually encourage your listeners to go online. And watch an animated video. I mean, there's probably a real video or two out there somewhere, or maybe many of them out there. I have no idea. But I know that you know on the Internet there are animated videos of what they do in one of these sex change operations, mm. particularly a male to female. Watch what they do. Unbelievable what they do. And so I always, you know, I, used, I always used to tell people, you know, like when I was teaching, you know, students who were pro-abortion and everything else, I said, go and watch Go and, go and learn what an abortion procedure yeah. actually is. Know exactly what it is that you're supporting. I would encourage your readers, if you, even if you support gender transitioning, go and watch and go, go look at before and after pictures of, of people and ask yourself, is, is this, it, do I really support this? Yeah. I think if people actually understood what was going on, we might have, you know, there might be some outcry, yeah. at least more than, than there already is. So anyway, so that's, you know, it's surgeries. You know, what are the problems with it? Well, the first problem, main problem is mutilation. Mm-hmm. You're performing surgical procedures on organs and tissue that are healthy. That there's nothing wrong with these tissues that right. you're, you're performing procedures on them. And that's wrong. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's yeah. just wrong. You don't do that, except 
with so-called gender transitioning. It's it's wrong. Pretty much, I can't. I don't know of another example. But well, you know, getting back to you know contraception itself, we know we we uh, we treat fertility like it's a disease, and exactly. uh, and hence you get uh, contraception. Yep. And uh, yep. so this is, you know, maybe a slightly more, well, a very much more radical example of that. Yeah, yeah, it is. And and like and, and just to you know to, to kind of put a bow on it, so to speak. Um, you know, the, the, in addition to the mutilation, what's problematic with this? Well, does it actually work? You know, mm-hmm. that, that's that's the question. Do do people who undergo surgical quote unquote reassignment procedures are they actually happier, healthier? And there's no evidence for it. You know, we mentioned before that back in the 70s, Johns Hopkins, um, they followed up the, the patients that, quote-unquote, transitioned. And they found that their mental health was not, it wasn't helped. That, you know, that the, the surgical procedures and everything else didn't help them. Yet here we are, you know, 30, 40 years later um, doing the exact same thing. And, you know, the, the evidence, and I, I, could, I could go and cite study after study after study after study. I'm not going to do that. Hmm. But... I'm not going to do that here, but um, there's no evidence, right? There's no evidence. Uh, it, the, the, let me rephrase that. There's no gold standard evidence. There's always, you know, some little study somewhere that somebody says, well, look, you know, we, we followed these people for six months after their surgery and they feel better, All right? You, you'll always find that, but that's not a study. Right. right? That, that's not a gold standard study. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the studies that do exist that, you know, that are good, good quality, high quality studies, they do not demonstrate, you know, they don't demonstrate that there's benefit. In fact, under the Obama administration, um, CMS, the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid, did a study to see if they should include, quote-unquote, transitioning as part, as part of, um, you know, Medicare. And their studies found the same thing. There, there's, there's no benefit. We, we don't see a benefit to this. So, yeah. so it's even the government does that. But just to, to, to wrap this up, I mean, we're talking about the anorexic, so, you know, uh, the anorexic patient, or the, um, you know, the schizophrenic patient, as you said. If we apply the four elements of the, um, you know, the quote-unquote gender-affirming model to an anorexic, what do we do? Okay, so we have this 80-pound person who believes she's fat. So the first thing we're going to do, as we said, we're going to affirm her, mm-hmm. right? Yes, you are fat. Next thing we're going to do, assuming she's an adult, we're going to, what are we going to prescribe? We're going to prescribe her diuretics. Yeah, right. So if she does eat something, or she diet will, pills. <laughs> yeah, it'll, it'll, it'll come right out. Yeah. Right. And then we're going to move her to uh, perform gastric bypass surgery. Yeah, right. <laughs> so the question is, I, I think anybody, you know, who listens to that would say, that's ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Well, that's exactly what we're doing. Yeah, right. For, right. For so-called gender transitioning. It, yeah. it makes no, it makes no medical sense. It makes no logical sense. And it's, it's insanity. It's absolute insanity. This concludes part three of my conversation with Dr. Joseph Zalat. Tune in next time for the concluding segment of the interview when we will further discuss the rational response of the Catholic Church to the absurd and destructive gender ideology. And until next time, remember, we should always treat life with care and respect. And at the very least, we should first do no harm. First do no harm with Dr. Mark Rollo is produced at WQPH 89.3 FM, Shirley, 
Richburg. We are very happy to share it with other networks. Thank you for tuning in to First Do No Harm. Dr. Rollo welcomes your questions and comments. You may contact him at markrollo978 at gmail.com. That's M-A-R-K-R-O-L-L-O 978 at gmail.com. Thank you, and until next week, remember, first, do no harm.